steers away from the common world religions. Someone who kind of rejects religion. And as Paul comes to Lystra, he's coming to an area where there are people that don't really have a regard for religion, that don't really have, I should say, a regard for God and a regard for Scripture. These are people who religious words don't really make sense to them. So if you would come to them and say things like sin or repentance or forgiveness, they wouldn't really register what those words mean. These are people that if you reference Bible verses or Scripture, they would not really have a regard for that or a fear for that or respect that. These are people that if you implored them to think about the day of judgment that they would answer to God, it just wouldn't register to them. Now, this was Paul's situation in Lystra in the first century. But as I described a little bit of that to you, does that sound pretty similar to our situation today? Most of you are probably familiar or comfortable with talking with people about Bible things using the Bible, using words that we're comfortable with, like you need to be forgiven by God and you need to repent of your sins and, and using scriptures like John 3.16 that God has so loved the world. But increasingly in our culture, people have a lower, lower fear or regard for God and a less and less respect for Scripture. Have you ever found yourself in your workplace or in your neighborhood wanting to share some things about Jesus but not really knowing where to start because the person doesn't really have any basis or background in church or any understanding of Scripture? And so if you were to use church words or use Scripture, it might not really make sense to them. Have you ever wondered where to start with those people? Paul's going to give you a template today, a model that we can look at. Because he's coming to people that have no regard for Scripture and have no real understanding of who God is. And yet he brings the good news to them. He does three things for us as a way of reaching those people who have no background or no interest in religion, no interest in God, no interest in Scripture or the church. He does three things we're going to look at this morning. Number one, he establishes trust with them. He establishes trust with these people. Number two, he exposes their idols. And number three, he encourages them to find real satisfaction. Let's get to work. It shouldn't take too long. Number one, he establishes trust. Do you notice the first thing that Paul did when he showed up in Lystra, verses 8 through 10? He shows up there and he begins talking a little bit to these people. Now, Lystra was a, a rural community, a farming town probably something um, like Pickerington 10 or 15 years ago. You know, it was close to, close to a city, but if you came out a little ways, uh, people were a little bit more country. Those of you that were here that long, sorry, I'm not trying to offend you, but I guess it's true about Pickerington. And Paul begins to talk a little bit, but these people were rural, and they had no connection to, to Judaism. You notice um, that they actually didn't even have a synagogue in this town. So there weren't uh, enough Jews there for them to even build a synagogue to worship Jehovah in this place. And so Paul starts talking there in verse 8 a little bit, but he notices immediately that there's somebody who is in need. There's a man who's sitting by the gate who has never walked his entire life. And immediately, Paul serves someone. He serves someone. You see, the quickest way for us to be able to establish a connection with someone who is not a Christian but doesn't have a church background is for us to build trust with that person. Immediately we establish trust with people by the way that we serve. You see, the Word of God was always 
supposed to be confirmed by action. In the first century, when they didn't have scripture laid out on the pages, when it wasn't written down, when the apostles and others were bringing the word of God to people, they would confirm that word by their signs and their deeds, by their actions. Well, that principle, although in the first century uh, they needed authenticity to, cons- con- to confirm their word, the principle remains true in this. Although we don't need miracles today to do that particular thing, you and I are to combine our words with our action, which gives us credibility. Our willingness to be servants in the marketplace, our willingness to be servants in the school system, in our workplaces, our willingness to be servants in our neighborhood, builds the necessary trust for us with people who don't have a church background for us to be able to share the gospel when the time is right. You see, when we decide that we're going to approach the world, we're going to approach our workplace, our neighborhood, our community, our schools, and we're going to approach those things as people that are first of all servants, willing to give of ourselves. We build the necessary trust with those people who look at church, look at God, and look at religion and say, I don't really trust that. I think we all could agree that uh, in our culture, the church has taken a beating in the last few years especially. Um, Many people in our culture don't trust religion. They don't trust the church. They don't even trust scripture. And so for us to build a bridge by which we can communicate the gospel, we've got to establish trust. And you establish trust by building relationships based upon our willingness to serve people. What do we do with that trust? When you and I are willing to serve and we make connections and there's trust that is had in those relationships, what do we do with that trust? Well, notice what Paul does. After he heals this man, uh, something really intense happens. The people in Lystra kind of start screaming out in Lyconian, uh, which is their own language, which probably means that Paul and Barnabas didn't understand what they were saying. They didn't understand what they were saying and that they were going to honor and worship Paul and Barnabas as gods. They only understood when they heard that a sacrifice was going to be made, probably the mooing of the cow as it showed up, made them realize, hey, wait a minute, they think we're gods. But what Paul, what happens there is that in the midst of their serving, the idols of these people come to the surface. They're idols. You see, the Bible presents this idea that the human heart created and made by God was made in a way that it was designed to worship and serve something greater than itself. This is the whole concept behind why celebrity happens in our world, why, why we adore people, because we love to honor worship and serve things greater than ourselves this is why great causes take off in our society because people like to give themselves to something bigger than themselves our hearts were designed to do that and if we do not worship and serve the one who made us god we will worship and serve something else your heart can't get away from the idea that it will worship and it will serve something the idea of not worshiping is foreign to scripture and that thing when we worship and serve something other than God that that is what is idolatry an idol is something I know sometimes the word idol or idolatry gets a little bit kind of biblical to us it feels like an Old Testament problem but let me try to modernize it for you for a little bit because it's still relevant and it still permeates in fact idolatry is the most talked about sin in the Bible 
An idol is just something that you and I ask to give us what only God is supposed to give us. Things like purpose and meaning, things like freedom and satisfaction, ultimately hope. When we say to ourselves, this thing I have or this thing I want is essential to my survival. If I don't have this thing, this job, this person, my life doesn't matter. That is edging on what would be called an idol. If we say things like, without this, I would not have meaning or purpose. I wouldn't have a reason to live. That's idolatry. And when you understand this, you realize that anything, anything, can be made into an idol. And what most oftentimes happens with humans is we don't take bad things and make them idols. That happens sometimes. We make good things, things we were always designed to enjoy, into ultimate things. We take things like a spouse or children. We take things like our job or our home. We take things like our money and possessions. And we say to those things that you are the thing that gives me meaning. You are the thing that gives me purpose. You are the thing that gives me life. And if I lost you, job, or if I lost you, spouse, or if I lost you, child, my life would not have meaning. That is what idolatry is. And so here's when I say, once we establish trust with people, we've got to expose their idols. When I say the word expose, I don't mean in a sort of pull back the curtain, gotcha kind of way. What I mean is exposing your idols is meant for us as their servant. In a positive, redemptive relationship to bring to the surface what matters most to people. So what we're talking about is how to convert your friends who have no regard for God and no regard for Scripture, that don't have a background in church, and you can't just walk up to them and say, you need to repent of your sins. They'd be like, I don't even understand what that means. So how do we connect with them? You establish trust through service. And you bring to the surface what they value the most, what they adore, what they live for, what their idols are. You see, if they're not living and serving God, they will make something their idol. Every one of us is on the verge of making something an idol if we don't worship and serve God because our hearts are designed to worship and serve something. We look around our culture, you can see this everywhere, the things that people worship and serve. So how do we figure this out? Paul does two things. You notice, first of all, their idols are exposed two ways. First of all, their idols are exposed by what they say. What they say. They scream out when Paul heals this man, and they say, the gods have come down to us. And they begin to get ready to offer a sacrifice. One of the ways that you figure out what your idols are is you look into yourself and say, what do I talk about the most? What's on my mind? What's on my mouth? What's on my lips the most? What are the things that I find myself talking most about with people? That'll be a close indicator of what might be an idol to you and to your friends. The second thing we see is that not, as, not only what they say, but what they do. They begin to go get sacrifices. The priest of these gods are readying themselves to offer a sacrifice to this idol. And so it's not just what you say that exposes your idol, but it's also what you do. Ask yourself these questions, and this will help you in helping other people identify their idols. Question one is, where do we spend most of our money? 
Our money is a great indicator of what we value most. Where does most of our money go? What does our money trail tell us about ourselves? Second question is be, where do we spend most of our time? Our time is the second greatest resource, or the, the greatest resource we have that tells us where we're managing ourselves, how we're living our lives, how we're spending our moments. Where do we spend our money? Where do we spend our time? And this time is not just where we have our presence, you know, where, we're, where we are, but when you have time, what do you daydream about the most? When you have nothing to do, what do you think about most often? And the third thing you say is, not just where do you spend your time and where do you spend your money, but where do you spend your energy? What elicits the most energy in you? What elicits the most excitement in you? What elicits you when you say, I see this thing or I see this, this person? What elicits the most energy and excitement out of you? What stirs your emotions to the greatest level? What infuriates you the most? When you start to touch on those buttons, you'll realize that those are the close things that can become idols to you. I'm not saying they are idols. What I'm saying is those answers reveal to you what is closest to you to your idols. Now, in these redemptive relationships where we're building trust with people who don't really respect God or regard Scripture, who don't really have a, a background to do that, we've served them, so we've built trust. We're listening to them, we're talking to them, we're engaging with them. And they'll most likely bring up either a problem or a prize, a thing, something they adore, something they want, or something they're troubled with. And in these open-ended dialogue questions, you'll begin to understand what they love the most, what they live for. And here's what Paul does for us, okay? Everybody with me? We're servants, so we're building relationships. We're understanding people's idols, what they live for. Now look what Paul does when he sees um, in verses 15 through 18. Read it with me. In verse 15, Paul says this, When the apostles heard that they were getting ready to offer sacrifices, their idolatry, Paul rushes in, tears his garments, and he cries out in verse 15, Men, why are you doing these things? We're men also of like nature with you. We bring to you, listen, good news that you should turn from these empty and vain things to a living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything that's in them. In the past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons. Look what God gave them. He says, I've come bearing good news of a living God who is the one who satisfies your heart. Do you see what Paul did? He references the rain and the seasons because these were farming people. These were people whose idols were the gods of agriculture and the gods of weather. Why? Because they served and worshipped the gods of agriculture so their crop would grow. They served and worshipped the gods of weather so that the rain would fall. These people were idolaters of their career. Makes sense, right? They would serve and worship the things that would help their crops to grow. And Paul says, listen, there's a living God, not this empty God, but a living God that has been satisfying your heart with rain and abundance of crop. And what I want to tell you about is something he's done to ultimately satisfy your heart. You see, the core of Paul's message, there's three things, really simple. He says, I've come to tell you good news 
about a living God who satisfies your deepest longings. Right there is the gospel to people who do not yet regard Scripture or regard God. I want to tell you good news about a living God who satisfies the very longings of your heart. You think about it, it works itself out in so many ways. You'll find when people begin to talk about what they value the most and, and what their idols are, as you begin to look at yours, you might say, well, my idol is money or my idol is beauty or my idol is um, my career or my idol is my spouse. But what you'll find is behind those little idols like uh, money, career, spouse, are bigger idols. Things like what I want is love. What I want is honor. What I want is security. What I want is freedom. And what you'll find is what God answers every single one of those. Perhaps what you're saying is what I want is honor and prestige. That's an idol of mine. I want to be respected. That's what I want. Maybe I sacrifice everything so that I can become something that people respect. Well, the gospel tells us that God, the sovereign God of the universe, would send his son to tell you that you already matter to him. Maybe it's security. Maybe you spend your days and weeks and months trying to accrue so much stuff so that you can feel secure, enough to be okay. Maybe you want enough money in the bank account. You want enough time on your hands to be able to feel secure like you're okay. Well, the Bible tells us and the gospel says that there's a sovereign Lord that has promised that he will take care of you and he'll never leave you. Maybe one of your idols is power. Maybe what you want is independence. So I want to be in charge. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I want to do my own thing so I can be completely autonomous and independent. Well, the gospel message introduces you to a freedom that comes through humility and a contentment that comes through forgiveness. That's ultimate power, ultimate freedom. Maybe what you want is acceptance. Maybe you're willing to change everything about yourself, to bow down to what everybody around you wants you to do so that they will let you fit in. Maybe that's what you want is acceptance. Well, the Bible says in Christ, when you become one with him, God says to you, you are mine, and in you I'm well pleased. You're already accepted. Maybe what you long for is your heart to be praised, maybe your life to be praised. Maybe you long for people to be pleased with you, and you're a people pleaser. Well, Jesus told us on the last day when we stand before God and we're faithful to him, he'll say to us, well done. The ultimate praise, the ultimate acceptance. And the one that's so active today in our life is love. I see this over and over. People long for and they desire love. They want love. And they look for this perfected love that will always accept them, that will always want them, that will never disappoint them or never hurt them. And we look for it in our spouse or our children or our friends to give us this perfect love. And unfortunately, they constantly are letting us down because they're not perfect people. They were never designed to give you that kind of love. And yet the gospel tells us that God has given us a never-failing love. Well, how do you obey this message? As you see, um, if you're taking notes on the sheet out there, uh, I always want to end by giving you exactly how you can walk away knowing how to obey. Okay, number one, ask yourself this. How, where, and who can you serve right now? Seriously, take that look in your life. Where can I serve? How can I serve? And who can I serve this week? 
Take time today. Drive home. It takes 15 minutes. Think about that. Who can I serve? Where can I serve? How can I serve? In my life right now, is there a place, there is, that I can serve? Who is the person that's in front of me that I can serve? And how can I serve them? If you don't have a good answer to that, maybe you look at your life and say, I don't really know what I'm good at, what I can do. That's literally what we're trying to do here. Call one of the elders. Call Matt, please, this week. Call us. Say, I want to serve. I just don't know how. Let us help. How can I serve? Where can I serve? Who can I serve? That's number one. Number two, for us to be good at helping other people know their idols and find their satisfaction in Jesus, you've got to do the very same thing. You've got to discern your nearest idol. What is the closest idol to your heart? Ask yourself the questions I've already said. Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? Where do you spend your energy? Ask yourself, what are the closest idols and what are the things that I really want that I sometimes turn to things and not God for? Ask yourself that. Pray about it. Study about it. Think about it. And number three, discover how Jesus Christ can really satisfy that idol. As I went through and talked about how you find ultimate satisfaction in Jesus Christ, bring that to yourself. You and I will not be effective even if we build good relationships with non-Christians who don't really have a background with church and understand scripture, even if you build good relationships with them, if you don't know how to show them that what they're longing for was never meant to be found in their spouse or their career or their possessions, it was always meant to be found in Jesus Christ. If you don't know how to do that in yourself, you won't know how to do that with other people. You've got to look into yourself and know where your idols are and know how to find that answer in Jesus Christ. And if you do that, you'll become a masterful servant at helping people understand their idols and how they can find great satisfaction in Jesus Christ. It's interesting, right, that Paul preaches this entire sermon and he doesn't really quote a Bible verse, but he teaches great Bible principles and brings these people to the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they might find the satisfaction that they've always looked for. And that's what we want for you. So if you're here today and you don't have that satisfaction that's found in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been turning to idols and asking them to give you what only Jesus is supposed to give you. We certainly want you to have Jesus and find the great joy in Him. Let's stand and sing.